It's Monday, May 27, 2019. I'm Rick Morton, sitting in for Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast. A daily encouragement to mobilize the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. The Defender Podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today's Memorial Day, and we're interrupting the normal rhythm of our podcast um, to let you enjoy a best of episode. So we're going to reach back into the archives to January 22nd when Herbie sat down with Jamie Ivey. Jamie is the host of the Happy Hour podcast. She's an author. She's a mom. Um, she's a speaker, and, and she's a, a great voice in the evangelical world. Uh, we're thankful for the time that they were able to spend together. And without further ado, um, here's Herbie's conversation back on January 22nd with Jamie Ivey. Well, I am thrilled to have Jamie Ivey join us on the Defender podcast. And Jamie is of Aaron Ivey, who is the worship pastor at the Austin Stone. Uh, but most people probably know Jamie from her podcast that is very popular uh, called The Happy Hour. And she has featured uh, many folks on her podcast and uh, tackled many issues from racial reconciliation to uh, just being a godly mom and a godly wife and so many relevant topics for the Christian woman today. And then she just recently released a book called If You Only Knew. And uh, Aaron and Jamie have four kids, three boys and one girl. Uh, and adoption has been a part of their story as well in building their family. And they currently live in Dripping Springs, Texas, which is right outside of Austin. And so, Jamie, thanks for joining us on the Defender Podcast. Herbie, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. Well, I know that uh, adoption is not something that you talk a lot about on your podcast and, and really because your family is your family. And, and, and I love even some of the things we've talked about uh, before is that adoption doesn't need to define our family. It's just the way sometimes our kids get into our families. Uh, however, you know, there are challenges in adoption, especially the adoption journey. And so how would you just talk to families about these challenges in midst of the great blessing of bringing children in your home? Yeah, it is, you know, adoption, I think, is one of my family's greatest gifts because it's how we got three of our kids. Um, and it's also, you know, sometimes I, I joke that I forget my kids are adopted sometimes, um, which is funny because three of them are black. So it's not like I and my Aaron and my husband are both white. So there's this, we look different, but it's not as much a part of our conversation as it was years ago when we were starting the process, in the middle of the process, you know, a couple of years out of the process. And so, you know, I, I don't talk about it that much, but one of the things I do like talking to people about are what you just said, um, the challenges that come along with um, adoption, because I say all the time that Aaron and I went into adoption really blindly. We were naive. We thought love would heal all wounds. And that's how we kind of went into it. And so I like for people to understand a little bit more about not just the process of adoption, uh, but the emotions that come along with adoption. I say adoption is beautiful, but it's always built on trauma. Like adoption is always built on trauma. Mm -hmm. No adoption um, happens because um, a birth mom was in a fabulous situation and she just, you know, said, oh, I would just rather not parent this child or, you know, parents that, you know, they're dying of HIV or starvation. So adoption's built on loss. It's built on trauma. And so we have to understand that as adoptive parents. And so I like to talk with parents about understanding 
that it's going to be, I mean, parenting is hard. It's hard across the board. Mm -hmm. It's hard no matter how old your child, how they got to you, nothing. Parenting is hard. But I think there are specific challenges that come along as being an adoptive parent. And I think it's important for adoptive parents to acknowledge those and say, yes, this is going to be difficult. You know, and Herbie, one thing I, you know, our kids have been home. Our last kid joined our family in January, nine years ago. So we've been a family of six for almost a decade. Mm. And I remember about probably four years into that, us being a family of, of six, I remember I looked around and I thought, you know what? I've spent a lot of time um, talking about to my girlfriends about how hard these two years have been. I've spent a lot of time talking about how difficult it's been for me as a mom. I've spent a lot of time talking about the challenges that our family has faced with my friends, but I don't think I have spent much time thinking about the difficulty that my kids have had to go through um, by joining a family. And I had this kind of aha moment and a bunch of repenting went on and confession and asking God to help me because my perspective changed a little bit then when I thought, man, you know what? This, these two years, they have been hard for me. Yes. Man, I bet they've been hard for my kids too. And so I just want parents to acknowledge the pain. Um, I have met parents before who are like, we don't even like talk about adoption because, you know, we love our kids and everything's going to be fine. And yeah, that's just not, that's not going to work. And so I like talking about that with families. And one of the things I know too, is a lot of times families go into this process they want to consume books. They listen to podcasts. They want to hear what people in the public eye are saying. And I know you are friends with Mary Beth Chapman, and certainly the Chapman story has been one that people cling to. And uh, I know that uh, people want to hear, you know, what, what do Jamie and Ari and Ivy have to say about adoption? But what advice would you give to a family uh, going through adoption that just really wants to know what are some of the struggles and the things to be prepared for? Where should they go? And, and, and what, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would give a lot of advice. The first thing that I just want to say too is, um, you know, 15 years ago, I would have been the person who would stand up and say, every Christian, it's our calling to adopt. And I do not say that anymore. And I don't stand by that at all. Um, I think as Christ followers, we all have, um, we are all called to be a part of something. We're all called to care about the least of these. We're all called to care about those um, that are in need. And so the first thing I would advise them is just to make sure that they're really certain this is what God is asking them to do for their life. Because I think um, media, even not even like famous people that we might mm -hmm. see adopting, but just people, you can see people's lives online so much these days that let me tell you, like you might see this family that has gone through adoption and they may look like everything is awesome and amazing. And so then you're like, I want my family to look like them. And I just think that's, you're setting yourself up for a lot of heartache because you're not going into adoption with the right hearts. And so that's my first thing is, man, and if you get to the end and you're like, I don't know that God's asking us to do that. You're not less than a Christian, but you would be less than if you didn't do anything, you know? So I'm like, I'm a big fan of everyone has a role to play. And so that would be my first thing is just to say, man, are you sure, exactly sure this is how you want God to build your, build your family? And if it's a yes, then I'm like cheering you on. And yes, I'm so for this. Um, I think that parents should be required to read books, to consume audio about this. One of my best pieces of advice, though, is I can tell you is to find people that you can sit down across the table with, have coffee with, and hear their stories. Find someone who's adopted from either the same country or the same age group or, this, or foster care or whatever you're doing. Find someone who's been down the road that you're about to go down and um, 
and ask them to be honest with you. Ask them to tell you the amazing things and ask them to tell you the hardest things. And I think that is something that is really life-giving to parents as they start down this road because everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different experience. So see how many stories can you um, kind of take in as you go on this journey? Because the thing is, once you get further down, you're going to need those relationships because those, the unique struggles um, of adoption, walking through that journey and then bringing a child home, those are unique struggles that it takes another person who's been down that road to understand. So those friendships are going to be crucial. And don't say you can't find anybody. Is 2018 the internet? Yes, you can find a friend in your town or close by who is, who is adopted. So don't tell me you don't know anybody. <laughs> and, and just to, to add to that too, just as a, a word of advice to families, because I think you're right, those, those one-on-one relationships are so crucial, but please make those one-on-one uh, connections face-to-face or over the phone and don't write out your child's story on the internet or <laughs> talk about your child's story on the internet. And, you know, I, I love what you say about calling because Ashley, my wife and I, certainly have felt called to be at Lifeline and to serve uh, children in foster care and serve birth mothers and serve children around the world. But we ourselves, while we had a stint as a foster family for a couple of months, have never adopted. And and that's okay because the the role the Lord has us in, I travel so much advocating around the world. It's not been possible for our family. And and I think it's, it's, I just want to reiterate what you said. It's so important for us to know what our calling is within the mandate to care for orphans. Yep, exactly. We're not all called to adopt. We're not all called to foster. We're all called to do something. And so at the calling part is what are we called to do within that mandate? Yeah. And then and then just to reiterate again, like I said, is you know, just the same way I have three children and, and they have different struggles that they bring into our family. But we don't need to go on to uh, social media broadcasting those troubles because social media is going to be there one day when they can read it and see what you said about them. Yeah, I always, people come up to me often just because of the line of work I'm in and I do use social media a lot for what I do. And and they'll say to me, they were like, Jamie, I feel like I know you. Like, I feel like I know everything about you. And I always remind them, you only know what I tell you. Like you only know what I tell you. And so there's so many things that happen at the Ivy household that nobody knows about because it's our family and it's our time and it's our unique struggles that we have. And it's the unique ways that we're trying to raise our kids that might have unique struggles from what they've been through. And so that is such a, it's such a good reminder of that we don't need to be broadcasting stuff on the internet. And, you know, if you follow me, if you see my kids on the, on my Instagram, it's because I've asked them. And so anything's up there, they've given me permission to put up there. Yeah. And that reminds me, there's a story I like to tell about my youngest. And I always, uh, sometimes when I'm preaching or speaking, I tell that story, but I always ask her for permission. Can I tell this story? Um, Not because it's necessarily embarrassing, but because it is personal to her. So such a, such good wisdom and advice Uh, and kind of staying on the home front. I know that uh, actually when we met uh, in Dallas, Texas at the ERLC conference, one of the topics you were talking about uh, to the the conference was as ha- not having a child-centered home. And, you know, you and Aaron talk a lot about your desire not to have a child-centric home, uh, but first and foremost, to have a home where Jesus and your marriage come first. So can you just talk a little bit more about this concept and how you would encourage families with young kids and busy schedules, how to kind of prioritize their schedules and their families around the word of God and not their children. Oh yeah, that was that was a fun conversation to have because I what we see Aaron and I see a lot is parents who 
completely develop their entire lives and around their children. And so they, they, they get married and they have children. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of falls away except for whatever the kid needs. Now, granted, you and I are both parents. We understand kids are very needy. It's, they need us when they're born to survive. You know, I have three teenagers, teenagers right now. They need me to show for them around. And so kids need us. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that we should not spend a lot of our time focused on our kids because I'm a mom. It's one of my greatest gifts from God is to be a mother. But what I do see a lot is families and marriages and moms and dads completely forego other things in their lives besides their children. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, you might see, um, you know, a family that has a son that plays baseball and that dad spends more time at the baseball field with his son than he takes his wife out on dates. Mm -hmm. Or you might see a mom who is so devoted to being everything that her kids do at school, every being every, being the most fabulous mom that she could be, that she's so exhausted that she cannot spend any time on her marriage. Or you might see a family that is so devoted to what their kids are doing that they don't have time to be in a small group or they don't have time to serve in their church. And so my point in that whole message was that we want to develop homes that are centered around the gospel because when we have homes that are centered around the children, what we see is your marriage can be at stake big time. We see that we're going to be developing kids that are entitled and then the scariest thing that I see that can happen is that we're going to create idols out of our children, yeah. that we're going to have our, our happiness and our joy and our purpose in life completely be revolved around our children. And it's scary and it sounds weird, but we would be making idols out of our children. We would be having idolatry with our mm -hmm. kids, which mm -hmm. seems crazy. And I know some moms are listening like, what? I love my kids so much. You mean they're an idol? And I don't mean that unless they are coming before your relationship with the Lord, then yes, they are an idol. That's what an idol is. And so I think as parents, we have to make some really hard decisions and we have to say that, that our home and our family is going to be centered around some gospel centered things, which means that God really values the marriage. And again, if we're talking about a single family household, you know, this might not apply, but in a, in a, in a two mom and dad parent home, that marriage needs to be strong. It needs to be a foundation you know, having a, you know, an almost 15 year old now more than ever, my marriage with my husband is so important because it's hard raising kids. And so one thing that I see is that uh, marriages kind of dissolve or they become more like a roommate situation because we're focused on our kids so much. And so I think, you know, the idols, the entitlement, because our kids are going to think everything revolves around me. Um, and then our marriages can suffer. And so, you know, some of the things that you can do for that is make sure that you, your kids have to make sacrifices. You know, your kids might have to make a sacrifice on a Friday night that they cannot go over to their friend's house because mom and dad are going on a date and I need everyone to be home. Yeah. So that's a sacrifice on that kid. But it's also Aaron and I saying we're focused on our marriage because if this marriage doesn't work, this family doesn't work. And so it's just, that's, those are some thoughts on that. Amen. And I, I think where our culture is today with so many different things, our kids desperately need to see a, a husband and a wife who love each other and who are, you know, working on that relationship. And, you know, obviously kids come in God's order after marriage. And so, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have strong homes. And, and ultimately, I know, uh, like you and Aaron have seen, Ashley and I are raising a teenager and about to have two teenagers in our home, we see the importance of we've got to be on the same page because it's a whole new ball game when these kids become teenagers, because you're not just training up a child, you're training up a new adult. 
Yes. And, and the decisions and the, the things that are coming into their world and the, the hard things are coming into their world. Uh, it's not a time that you can shelter them anymore, but you've got to show them the world and, and it, it, you need a teammate in that. And so uh, just an encouragement to single moms as well uh, and the churches to, to wrap around these single moms because they need the church in yeah. a big way too mm-hmm. as they're raising up their children. Yeah. Well, talking about the church, obviously, uh, you and Aaron serve on the church staff, and you're part of the Austin Stone. Um, and so your family, and it's a priority for your family to support Aaron and the role at the church. Um, but, you know, so many things we do, and this kind of goes still with the same uh, idea, but so many things that we do that are good things in ministry pull us away from family. And so how have, have you guys found the balance between really your ministry with your podcast Aaron's ministry at the church and still making a priority for your family. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, after I, I posted that message that I gave at your, that we just talked about, about a, a child centered home versus a gospel centered home. If I were to give that message again, if I were to write that again, I would add in there. What I'm about to say right now is I've seen also the flip side. We've seen mm-hmm. one ministry devote their entire life to their ministry, to their church and and neglect their children and neglect their family. And so I, that's not what I'm saying in that conversation we had five minutes ago, but I think it's worth talking about because it's a follow-up because you can see the flip side. You can see people do what you're saying if they swing so far that they're so devoted to their church and they're so devoted to their ministry that their family suffers. And so Aaron and I are really aware of that as well. Aaron actually grew up a pastor's kid. And so he knows the challenges of having um, parents who are, you know, in charge of things and on stage and doing things. And so we really, really, really value family time. Um, Aaron, I just were telling someone yesterday is we say no so many times. I mean, we say no so many times, Herbie, you would not even believe it. We are big no people because we do know that both of our jobs take a lot of time. Hmm. And so we have, you know, our values would be that the next thing that has to take up most of our time, well, not the next thing, but you know what I mean? Like if something, if something good comes to us, a request, we have to look at that and go, is it fall under these things that we're doing with our life? And if not, we want to stay home with our kids. Like I'm always want to be home with my kids and my family. And so, you know, for us, a lot of times with Aaron's job being, you know, worship pastors over all of the worship pastors at our church, I'll give you an example tonight. We're having all of them over dinner. Aaron is in the kitchen cooking the amazing meal that he's going to serve them tonight. There'll be 52 people here. Our kids will be here. And now, granted, when you hear this, mamas, my kids are big, okay? Because what I'm about to say, some of you are going to be like, oh, no, she didn't. So my youngest is 11 and my oldest is 14, okay? So we've got bigger kids. Our kids, although we will put a movie on upstairs for them for sure, although they can just play games until their eyeballs fall out tonight, we don't care. We also will welcome them to come downstairs and walk among the people that Aaron serves, to be a part of it, because we value that we value them seeing us serve Aaron's team. And so, you know, eventually we'll say it's time for you to go to bed, but we also will allow them to mingle and allow them to see us serving in our home. And when they get off the school bus today, they'll help us set up because we have a really big um, mission here and and we're loving these people well tonight. And we want our kids to see this is not just mom and dad's gig. This is our family, our family. We want to be servants. We want to be people who welcome people into our home with hospitality. And that's not just mom and dad. That's all of us. 
Do they grumble sometimes? Of course, they're dumb teenagers. Uh, <laughs> do they serve like crazy sometimes? Yes, depends on the day. You know, we'll see how today goes when they get off the bus. But we try to include them in things that we do so that it's not just this distant thing that mom and dad do. We want them to also feel a little bit of as much a part of it as they can. Amen. And I, I tell you, for Ashley and I too, I just echo that to anyone, you know, your kids and your home and your husband or your wife are so important. I mean, your spouse, your kids, so important to you having a gospel-centered home. And as much as you can involve your kids, even at young ages, uh, to involve them as much as you can in what you're doing, I, I, that's just a beautiful picture of showing them the responsibility, but also letting them feel uh, a part of the ministry or the work that we've been called to. Yeah. And yeah. I want to I tell you one more story too about that real quick. Just recently, because um, I think this will um, encourage some moms and dads as well. Just recently, um, my husband and their whole worship team, every month they host a night where they get together and they, they have a, worship, a night of worship and they bring all the volunteers from all the campuses that serve in worship and arts and sound, all that kind of stuff. And they worship and share a meal and there's, you know, it's a great time. It's 45 minutes from our house. It usually starts at like seven. Traffic driving into Austin is like your worst nightmare. My kids have, you know, play practice and basketball, all the things. So all I'm saying is we hardly get to go anymore. It's just, we hardly get to go. I haven't been all semester. And last Thursday they had it and I knew it was the very last one. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to get the kids. We, I picked up Deacon from play practice at 630. We were going to be 45 minutes late. We drove in all, you know, it was work for me to do this because <laughs> I could have like got all the kids home, fed them dinner, put my pajamas on and turned on a fire and just enjoyed my night. But I did the work and I went and we got to go and my kids were there. And so they, they got to be reminded of what their dad does. They yeah. got to be a part of that. I got to be a wife who was supporting my husband and what he does at the church because sometimes as a parent, I mean, it can become so like distant what Aaron does at church and what I do at home, especially when we have little kids. It felt very different. So we've always tried to say, how can we bridge these things together? And so for me, it meant, man, I'm going to sacrifice my night and I'm going to go and I'm going to encourage my husband. For my kids, although they probably couldn't verbally say this, they had to sacrifice a night at home and they loved it, but they all went to bed at like 1130 on a school night, which <laughs> was a sacrifice for us the next morning too. Um, but it was just worth it because we got to be reminded about what Aaron's job is, about what his ministry is, about why we love the city so much. So I just want to encourage, especially people in ministry, is to, it can be hard to sometimes remember to go and cheer on your person or go encourage or go be a part of what they're doing, but it's so worth it. And Aaron actually said, I know that took a lot for you to get here and it meant a lot. So that's my encouragement. Amen. I'll tell you from the husband's side with a wife that is constantly bringing the family to come support me at things as a, as a dad and as a husband, uh, it gives us just great joy and great encouragement to see our family standing there especially when you know that precious wife of yours has made such sacrifices uh, in order to, to make it happen. So yes. from both sides, it's so important. Well, Jamie, just transitioning a little bit, uh, I know also uh, as a Christ follower and all the things that you do, that the sanctity of life is so important. And, and even as we started this conversation on adoption, you know, adoption is one of those sanctity of life issues. You talk on your podcast a lot about racial reconciliation and 
and different uh, different topics that all center around the sanctity of life. And one of the things that you do that I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we kind of ostracize and put to the side are prisoners, um, those who are incarcerated. And, and you regularly go uh, to a local women's prison, teach Bible studies and build relationships uh, with these women. Can you just share with us your heart for uh, these women and how you first started getting involved in prison ministry and how really th- these ladies uh, exhibit the image of God? Yeah, I, I've been there three and a half years. I was, I've been there since the, the part of the organization that I'm with has started in our, and it's actually a jail. It doesn't matter, but it's just a little bit different. But I've been there for three and a half years. And how that happened was about four, probably four years ago, I was feeling as though I feel pretty kind of boxed in and all the people I encounter are Christians. Like everyone is either at my church, I travel, I speak at churches. I have a Christian podcast. My husband's a pastor. I just felt very churchy, you know, like there has to be more God. I I need to kind of, I need, I need something else because this is, I'm kind of dying here. And so I just started praying, like, God, I, I need to do something. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I need to do something. And about, you know, just a couple of weeks after I started feeling that tension within my heart, a friend of mine who c- called me, who I had, I had done stuff with her before, volunteered with an organization here that was helping women on the other side of trafficking. After they'd been released from sex trafficking, after they were no longer in that life, they would step in and have services for her. So I had done volunteer work with them before, and, and she called, and she said, hey, I have this crazy idea. Um, I want you to pray about it, but we're thinking about starting a jail ministry. Would you pray and see about being a part of it? And I said, well, I don't need to pray because I've been praying, and yes, I'm in. <laughs> and so it's been one of the most favorite things I've ever done, and we have grown so much as a ministry. We have a phenomenal leader that leads us, and and when I'm in town, I'm there, and I'm telling you, it. It, the first time I went in, I mean, I've never been in a jail before. I don't know that I know anyone that's ever been arrested. I'm sure that I do. Okay, let's be real. <laughs> but um, it was it was an eye-opening experience for me. It has been one of the greatest ways that I've been able to talk about the gospel mm. because you're sitting in there and we live in when you're when you're not incarcerated, you're not in jail. Most of us probably live in a world where everyone can act like they have everything together. Right. Everyone can act like they have, they might not even feel as they have a need for Jesus. Like I can do this on my own. And when we're in there in that jail, um, these women have a physical reminder of their, you know, alleged quote unquote crimes. They have a physical reminder of the things they've done wrong. But yet we have the opportunity to, to tell them that we're exactly the same. Like you in the jumpsuit that you cannot leave me that I get to walk out of here and have dinner with my family tonight. We are exactly the same. And that's been such a beautiful thing for me to see the gospel is what it is, is that Christ came to save us all. And we're all desperately in need of a savior. They are, I am, all of us are. And so it's been really, really beautiful. Just this past week, I was sitting at a table and uh, one of the girls just, it was her first week there and she just broke down with not understanding how a God that is supposedly loving 
could happen. She has, she's lived a hard life. Most of them have lived a very hard life. How could he let these things happen to her? And what happened at that table, Herbie, was beautiful because two of the other girls at the table, I mean, the other volunteer and I just kind of sat back and they just started preaching. I mean, it was as if we had church at our little round table with me and another volunteer and four other ladies who are incarcerated. And it's been really, really beautiful. And I've have learned a lot over the past 10 years about, um, that believing the sanctity of life that you mentioned and, mm. and knowing that, that God, that we were all image bearers and that God loves us so much and God desires for us to know him and God desires for us as, as Christ followers to serve the least of these and serve these around us. Um, I think that we're doing a disservice when we just think that applies to the unborn. Mm. Um, and so it applies to my women who are incarcerated at the jail. It applies to the single moms here who live on the East side and cannot catch a break. It, it involves the um, people on welfare. It involves the kids in foster care. It involves the people at the border. I mean, I see a very holistic view that if you're going to be for the sanctity of life, we need to look at every possible aspect. And so it's been really great for me to be able to serve this way. Amen. And I, I even think as you talk about going to the jail, that so many of our kids in foster care have moms that are living in jails and prisons. Yep around 100%. our country yeah. and one of the great ministries and the things that the ministry of life funds had the opportunity is going into sometimes in these jails or sometimes into rehab clinics and looking straight square in the face of these moms and these dads and reminding them that they were created in the image of God mm. and that he loves them and so many times we want to look at the children as the victims and we look at the parents totally as perpetrators but so many times they've never had anyone invest in their lives and tell them that they're special and created and made in the image of God. And so, it's so true. Uh, I just, uh, it, it drives a heart as well, not just for those that are in prison or incarcerated, but for those that have lost their kids to foster care, uh, for those parents that are struggling to make it and have to look to adoption mm -hmm. because they can't parent. We need to know that they are created and loved by our creator just as much as the children uh, that they have as well. Yeah, well, and so many times when you're looking at parents who are foster care parents, even if they never choose to adopt, they either way, they're going to be foster parents or they're doing foster to adopt. If you look at that situation, you think you have no idea what that your love to that child, yeah. whether it's for a small amount of time or for a lifetime, you have no idea how you could change the trajectory of that kid's life. Um, right. because there is a reason that they're in foster care and we don't look down on the parents, we help them, you know? And so we right. look and see what's the need, what's the problem, but you don't know what you could be doing to that kid's life to change where they were headed. And so, right. yeah. oh, that makes me, that gives me chills to think about how kids' paths were, were just radically changed because of someone stepping in and loving them. That's right. And they say, you know, the statistic right now in the U.S., is that 30% of those that are incarcerated were at one time in foster care. Jeez. And yeah. so if you think of it that way, one out of three women that you're seeing potentially spent time in foster care. And that just exponentially shows us why it's important that the body of Christ enter into foster care. And again, to go back to the original part of our conversation, that does not mean that everybody in every church needs to sign up to be a foster parent, but it does mean that there's something we can do in this equation to step in there for a moment or for a season in the life of a child. So true. Well, Jamie, as we end, and, and again, just are so grateful for your time. You know, on your podcast, you always ask someone what they're loving right now. So we want to ask you, what is the thing that you're loving right now? 
Oh, one thing that I'm loving. Um, I would have to say this, and I have said this a few times lately. I got these new shoes and they're called Allbirds. And I, I kept, do you have any? I don't, but I have seen them. Well, if you're on Instagram, you've seen them because apparently they've paid a lot of money to put a lot of Instagram <laughs> ads up. And I, it was Allbirds, you have succeeded. So I bought the shoes and I, I promise you when I say I wear them every single day, they're so comfortable. So that's what I'm loving right now. Well, that's awesome. And I have to check them out now. So they're so great. <laughs> well, Jamie, thank you again so much for joining us. And I just want to remind our listeners that if you've enjoyed what you've heard from her, you can listen to her podcast, The Happy Hour. And you can find that anywhere that you download podcasts. And again, it's The Happy Hour. And one of our ministry partners and good friends, Kristen Maynard, has actually turned me on to several of the episodes. And so you do not have to be a mom or a wife to listen to The Happy Hour. Uh, you can be a husband and a dad and listen and still uh, just good stuff, good truth and great guests. And so, Jamie, thanks for being here. And is there any last kind of thing you could tell people about your podcast and how to connect with you? JamieIvy.com is my webpage. And I've mentioned Instagram way too many times on this podcast because I love it. You can find me over there too. It's at Jamie Ivy. But over on the webpage, you can find everything. Well, Jamie, thanks again, and we just uh, we will just continue to pray for the ministry that you and Aaron have in Austin, around our country, and around the world. Thank you. Thank you. 